We're thankful to be here this afternoon and do bring uh, the love and greetings from Ancaster. We're so thankful to have you and your lovely family here and please do extend our greetings when you're returning. Thank you. Thank you. We're willing to help us this afternoon. Almighty God, we are so amazed by who you are and what you've done and how much you care for us. All of these things are beyond our ability to measure, to put into words, or even to fully understand. Father, we're thankful this afternoon that we can come. We can open our hearts. We can listen to your life-giving, life-changing words. Father, we pray that your spirit would indeed be free to work in spite of the weakness of your servant. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to open our hearts to set aside the distraction, the weariness, and to let your spirit change us. We know that we live in challenging times. At times, perhaps, for some that may be too smooth to allow us to forget, and for others, may be very challenging with the trials that are going on right now. You know the need of each and every one of our hearts, and we pray that you would be able to meet those individual needs as only you can. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord has laid on my heart to uh, read from the Apostle, the Epistle of Apostle Paul to the Colossians, the second chapter. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> read recently from the first uh, chapter, we learned how, how Jesus Christ is truly all in all, that uh, Christ has made him to be the reason for all things, the source of all things, the sustainer of all things, and, and the purpose of all things. And now Apostle Paul is continuing chapter 2 after giving us this tremendous promise that Christ in us is the hope of glory. <clears throat> we read, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, and vain deceit after the tradition of men, and after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. 
in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man, therefore, judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God." Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh." I've read the entire chapter. The Apostle Paul was a passionate person. And he, there was a lot of churches that he had the privilege of maybe being that uh, pioneer of being the first one in town and facing the stones and, and the insurrection of the Jews But Colossae was not one of those towns. It was a a town that had the church had started through through others. We hear about Epaphras in the previous chapter, and that. But even he he had it in his heart. He felt a fatherly burden for them, and we understand through history that uh, they were facing perhaps some new philosophies and and were being tempted by those. So. Apostle Paul is writing to them in a deep concern. He shares with us in the first verse that he has a a great conflict, a great burden on his heart for those at this church in Colossae as well as the one in Laodicea because he has not met them. And he shares his burden, his vision for them, what he would really like to see happen. Feel free to, to follow along in your Bibles. This is the vision that Apostle Paul had for these churches, and I'm sure he has the same vision for for this church. Apostle Paul may not have seen us face to face, but this is what he would have wanted for you and I. That our hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and to all riches the full assurance of understanding. So, the first thing is that our hearts would not be disturbed. We, we read about Jesus saying to us in the 14th chapter of 
John, I understand Brother Urs had a, had a, a message about that on the wedding weekend, about how his peace he lives with, leaves with us, that we don't need to be uh, um, disturbed because he has prepared a place, as we heard about this past Wednesday. We, our hearts can be comforted because we know who's in control of the universe. But God does not only, and, and there's certainly a very big focus about Jesus and about our relationship with Jesus and Jesus being in us and being the power, but, but here in this verse we, we read about another dimension that not only are we comforted by the comforter who is inside of us, but, but the vision is that you and I in the church should be knit together in love. And we, we can see the word picture of knit, where there's, there's a weaving, there's a, there's, things are in contact, and, and, and you can't entangle one thread. They're all intertwined. And that's the, the picture Paul has for us as a church here today, that we, our hearts, would be knit together in love. And that we would have that kind of care, that kind of commitment, that when something's knit together, if you tug at it here, it's, it's felt over there. We would have that sense of the needs, the joys, the pleasures, the problems that each other are facing, and we would support because if something's knit, it's a, it, even though you put pressure over here, that cloth is being supported by all the intertwined threads. So there's no one thread is bearing that pressure. And so we can, in a similar way, bear each other's burdens. And we can be that committed to each other. Now this isn't just a, a country club. It's not just a group of people with similar interests. It's not the, 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 the power behind this, this mutual support is not just a human power. He goes on to say there's an assurance, there's an understanding that we know where this is coming from. We know we have this mystery revealed to us. We have a relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have empowered to love each other. Because we know, and, and, and you probably see in, 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 in you know, your friends, whether it's already happening in high school, and I'm afraid at middle school and before, where you see people who will commit to, to knitting their hearts together in love and to try to do that in their own power. And you see how long that lasts, how long that, with the best of intentions, before those things unravel. And there's no real... Um, ability to follow through on that kind of commitment but it's different for us in the church we have something unique and that's the one thing that 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 can lift this church up as a as a trophy to the watching world the 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 real identifying mark is that we can have love to each other with each other people that are vastly different completely different backgrounds, ethnic uh, groups, socioeconomic levels, intellectual levels, it doesn't matter. God has, has knit this fabric together, and the fact that these people, all unique and different, can love each other, can stick together, is proof that this is something divine. This doesn't happen naturally. 
uh, even the Bible itself is knit together from, and, and that's one of the incredible things that, is that we have some 40 different authors over a span of some 4,000 years from kings to shepherds, from uh, Jews to, to, uh, to Babylon, all over, all kinds of different people who are agreeing together on the meaning of life and, and the, the origin and the purpose and the destiny, questions you couldn't get two people uh, in your school to agree on, and yet these vastly different people are coming with a unity that you can see a thread and a foreshadowing, which we are going to talk about here today as well. So it's because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that you can have the wisdom to know how to love each other, to know how to be knit together, to know how to be a part of the supportive fabric. Because you don't have the wisdom yourself. It's in him, this mystery, that he has the wisdom and knowledge. Because sometimes, I know as a parent, I can come to the end of my rope and I just don't know how to do it anymore. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to keep this family together and, and how to, 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 to deal with some of the attitudes or whatever is going on. I don't know the right thing to do anymore. Right? And I'm sure you feel the same way. And sometimes we might feel that way with respect to the body of Christ. And the good news is, thank God, it's not up to Edmund Reinhardt's wisdom or anyone else's wisdom or your wisdom. It's up to Jesus Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge to show us how we can be knit together. Now, Paul has a concern. He, he wants to tell them because he sees people are coming with enticing words. And they're coming from a, a, a few different angles here. We, we're going to read about some that are coming from a very intellectual angle, some, some that are appealing to, to people's kind of pride. And uh, they've got this theory, they've got this new way of, of reinterpreting the whole biblical history, this Gnosticism. Gnosticism is talking about this hidden wisdom. And it's kind of like, we've got the hidden wisdom. We are this exclusive, exclusive group. We are smarter than other people. We figured it out. And you can join this inner circle. And uh, it kind of appeals to this exclusivity and this pride that we can have. And so he says... Uh, in verse 18, uh, elaborating on enticing words, let no man beguile you of your reward in worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So there's these things that we think we know, we have the mystery, we figured it out, and, and there are things God hasn't revealed. He's given us the mystery, the mystery is Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you've got access to Jesus Christ. Now Jesus Christ is in control and he gives you the wisdom. But you know what? Jesus doesn't explain everything to you because you don't need to know everything. And you may not know what's going on with angels and, and, and why exactly God did that in the Old Testament and why this and there's lots of things that are not explained. And so when we intrude into things that we have not seen, that the Bible hasn't made plain, 
And we think, okay, I've got this really cool theory. I looked it up on the internet or so-and-so, brother and -and so-and-so from the old country explained it to me or however you came across this hidden wisdom. And you think you've got the corner on exactly how the end times are going to go down or all these things that you think you have the inner, uh, you have some kind of inside knowledge. This is pride. This is being puffed up in your fleshly mind. I really appreciated this, this past week uh, the brother who led the, the, the Bible study on the new heaven and the new earth. And there's plenty of opportunity for theories of exactly how that's going to happen and how this can tie into today's headlines because there certainly is a lot of relationship and we see a lot of fig tree budding in the headlines today. But the brother didn't dive into an exact chronology of how this is all going to work out. He says, you know, is that really our heart's focus? Are we interested in being ready for heaven? Are we so heavenly minded that we're not focused on the things of this earth? Or are we so earthly minded we're no heavenly good? He challenged us about whether this is our heart's goal as opposed to having this fleshly understanding. So this is one of the dangers Paul is warning about. The other danger is um, a different kind of pride, a different kind of fleshly wisdom. And uh, it looks spiritual, though the one, the, the, the intellectual, like I've studied the Bible and I've got it figured out, looks spiritual. It looks like, you know, because I'm so in tune with God, I've got this revelation. The other type of spiritual looking but actually fleshly proud uh, path uh, that's going to take us away, we read of uh, in verse 20 there is, is, is that we, we can get caught up into uh, laws, right? Or, or verse 16 says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or respect of holy day. Uh, there were people who were saying, you know, I'm more spiritual, not because Maybe I've got this new theory and I understand things better. I'm more spiritual because I keep these regulations and laws and I'm holier because I live a more godly, holy life. But of course, I've defined holiness and godliness by these new rules and regulations. Or maybe they're old rules and regulations. I keep these Old Testament rules better than you do or other people do. And so that gives me some kind of credentials. And so Paul actually spends some time here saying that bringing us from our brains of our intellectual pride or our I'm more spiritual pride or I have more bodily control, more self-control, more moderation pride, I'm a more religious person pride, to say, you know what, it's not about you, that's the problem, it's about Jesus. And so he takes us back to what Jesus, who Jesus is. We spend a lot of time in chapter 1 saying he is really all in all. And here we're saying again, uh, so we don't get confused in verse 8 about philosophy, vain deceit, principles of this world, and not after Christ. That's the bottom line. All these different paths, they're not after Christ. They're disconnecting you from the head because the only way this body is going to work together is if it's connected with the head. You got to realize that Jesus is the one who has all of God in him. Again, a mystery I can't explain to you, but in that physical body of Jesus Christ, 
The fullness of the Godhead was there. Everything was there. He was completely God. And you, verse 10, you are complete in him. He has all principality and power. And when he is in you, you can't get lost because he is the way. You can't get confused because he is the truth. And you can't uh, become dead and because he is the life, right? When you have all principality and power, Christ in you, the hope of glory, there's no problem that you can't overcome or cannot choose the right wise path through with his help, right? And then he, so this gives us a confidence. This gives us um, the real mystery, not the I've got a theory mystery, not the I've got the right rules mystery. It's the I've got the right relationship with the God who is Christ, who is all, who has all the power, who is in me. That's the mystery. And that's the power that really you need to live your life. Not extra rules, not better theories. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And now he speaks of, of where it all began for anyone who has experienced Christ went through two operations here, two heavenly operations. He talks about the circumcision operation and the baptism operation. So he talks about circumcision. This is uh, a circumcision made without hands. This is not something you did, but Christ did in you, the circumcision of Christ, where he cut off, uh, not in this case skin, but he cut off the 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 fleshly, um, um, the sins of the flesh, you died to, to sin. You had cut out of you this, this nature that was helpless against sin, that couldn't help but sin. And as you surrender yourself to the knife of Jesus Christ, he was able to cut out from you the thing that made you a helpless captive. And because you are now dead, there is another operation. Not only did he do that, but as you were buried with Christ, identify with him in baptism. And notice the words here in verse 12. Now you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. So the God who raised Christ from the dead did an operation. This is something that... Again, it's a mystery. We, we can't rationally explain what God did. But we know that he took you from a state of being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. So now not only have you had the, the shame and the guilt and the power of sin cut away from you, you are now attached to the life of Christ. And as he rose from the dead, you rise from the dead. You have a power inside of you, Christ in you, who has the head of all principality and power, and you can have this incredible potential. The contrast here in verse 13, that you were dead in your sins, and you're uncircumcised, you're under the bondage of, uh, of the flesh and the corruption, and he makes you alive together with Christ and forgives you all your trespasses. And he talks about that, that... There's this whole law, this, this whole point 
of this Old Testament explaining and revealing through the, the floodlight of God's law, as we heard clearly about Romans 7 recently, that revealing the sin nature inside of us, as it tells us, thou shalt not covet. And then all of a sudden we realize that we want things that other people have and that we're envious and we're, there's things wrong in our heart. But it, not only was there the moral law that exposed our heart, there was a lot of ceremonial law. There's a lot of things that, that, that pointed to, which in verse 17, they were a shadow of things to come. They were pointing to the need for some sacrifice, a blood sacrifice in the place of your sin, that God needed something pure and holy and sinless to take the place, to be offered in your place, and, and to, to realize the need to, to, to separate between holy and unholy, to, the need to uh, be distinct and called out from, from uh, the world. And there's a lot of these festivals, a lot of these um, that, that all had meaning pointing to, you know, the Passover, which is, is, is celebrated this time of year where God passed over the sin and uh, he passed over the houses that put blood on the doorstep and faith of God's commandment. And we know that that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that, that when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts, that he passes over uh, us in judgment. And we see Christ as the fulfillment of, of the Passover. And, and Christ is the fulfillment of, of, of all this whole ceremonial sacrificial system. And yet, there are people who said, yeah, but, but, but there's a certain comfort, there's a certain superiority again that comes through, I am better uh, than the Gentile because, you know, I keep the things that God commanded, that I need to go to Jerusalem three times a year, and I need to, uh, uh, sh- as a male, show up for these festivals. I need to, uh, all these things that they felt we, know, we see the Pharisees doing the same thing. I'm better than that publican over there because I fast twice a week and I give 10% and I keep the laws. Okay, maybe you and I don't feel better because, uh, because we keep the ceremonial law, but there are things that we may feel a certain smugness, a certain religious superiority because there are certain things we do. You know, we... Uh, I might have fast twice a week, but I sit in these pews twice a week. You know, maybe I, had, I, I come through these doors three times a week, you know, and, and maybe I, I do give, whether it's money or I do, you know, uh, whatever service we give, there can be a certain religious dependence that I have this to my credit, right? And, and those people who looked at that ceremonial law as I need this to be right with God, we're missing the point. Verse 17 says, no, no, no. The whole point was to point you to Christ. It wasn't so that you got right with God by cutting open a bull and putting him on the altar. No, it was because one day Christ was going to be bleeding in your place and pay for your sins. That bull never did actually pay for your sins. It's not that, that you participating in this Passover is going to make you right with God. It's that one day Christ's blood is going to cause the angel of death to pass over you. You're missing the point. It's all these things are to point us to Christ. And, and, and you coming into this building 
you sitting in these pews, you hearing these words, it's not like, okay, I've done it twice this week. There's my check mark. I am a good uh, ACC Nazarene. I now can go home. I've done it for this week, right? And, and, uh, and I, I've, I have that to my credit, you know, for, for, for this, this week, it's, it's done. No, the point that you're sitting here isn't to, to check off a credit. The point is that you have an opportunity to see Christ in these words, to, to look and to see that he's in your heart, to see that your heart is aligned with and, 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 and fervently in relationship with Jesus Christ, that the power, the head of all power and principality is free to operate in your life and to make you victorious on Monday morning and Sunday evening, and Wednesday, and even Saturday even, that he's got the power, the staying power for six days and 365 days a year and all throughout your life for eternity. It's not about check marks or religious fulfillment of religious expectations, right? There's a pride in that. And as, as he, he goes on to say that these things that when we... When we um, fulfill these some of these religious rules there's it appears it says they, they have a, a show of wisdom that looks like it's wise because there's a, a, a submission of the will you know I, I have to make sacrifices to to be here on a, when on Sunday now I'm not telling you not to come you know, the word of God says it's a good idea to be here Hebrews 10 because we can encourage each other but it's not the discipline of being here in body, right? In, 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 in submitting the will. It says it, it, it looks like, you know, I'm religious and there, my will is submitted and I'm, I'm humble. It looks humble in a perverted way because actually I'm kind of proud of that. I've got fulfilling these religious laws and, and that it actually puffs up my fleshly mind here in, in Paul's word. And so it doesn't actually work. The, the, the word not in any honor, if you look at the Greek word, there's not any value, there's not any good end result. We don't end up overcoming the flesh by fulfilling fleshly requirements. All right? So it looks like this, that man there, that Pharisee who's going up to the temple to pray, he's, he's really got his act together. He's fasting twice a week he really's got his body under control and look he's praying he's really talking to god all these you know twice and, and and he's even got his finances are submitted to god he's giving 10% looks really good right his he's submitted to god but look at his heart you know god i thank you that i'm not as other men are you know and i do this i'm not like that publican over there and god says ah oh, get away from me you're, you're holier than thou uh, is a stench in my nostrils, he said. It, it, you disgust me. You, you think you've got the flesh under control while you're puffing up their fleshly mind. You think you're relying on your ability to fulfill certain rules to make you more humble. Well, that's not going to work. You need to forget about what you can do. And you need to be connected to Jesus Christ because verse 19 here, let's, let's, let's end on this point here. Not, he's intruding into things he has not seen. He's vainly puffing with his flesh and mind and not holding the head, who is Jesus Christ, 
from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment, ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. All these things, intellectual or self-discipline, they are the flesh. And while they look good, they miss the point, and the point is Jesus Christ. You're not relating to him. You're not connecting to him. You're not submitting to him. You're not letting him work through you because when you have the head, he works through you. Tim glory, goes back to the whole point in the beginning here about the hearts being knit together. We are knit together and because I'm connected with the head and God cares about you, all of a sudden I'm going to care about you. And I'm going to be used through some unique way because God has made me different than you, but there's, uh, there are joints, there are connections between you and I. There are bands, there are supports in that there is nourishment, there is uh, things that flow through us that strengthen and build each other up. Unique. One person may have the practical help you need. Another person has the emotional help you need. Another person might have the financial help you need. Another person might have the wisdom you need in that moment. Another person might be praying for you in that moment. There are unique ways that God is flowing through each of these connections to the, the needs that, and, and let's face it, we are on the receiving end as well as the giving end. That every, every fiber of this knit is interdependent, not independent. Not, it's not like I am the source and everything flows to me, no, nor does everything come to me. I am part of an interdependency. So the, the word together comes out again, knit together for the second time. And because this knit is holding the head, it increases, it grows it gets stronger, it, gets, it, it flourishes because it's the increase not of man and man's wisdom. It's not because we have someone up here who can talk and impress people and bring in the clouds, crowds. We know that's not the case. It's not because we have better music that we pull them in. It's not because we have polished programs. It's not because we have a nice-looking building. It's not because there are some tangible benefits from being a part of this community. It's the increase of God that people come and they sense the Spirit of God working. They see, and I've heard this, you know, I saw these people who were serious about God. I saw a reverence of God. I saw people who, who took God seriously and they changed their lives because of it. I saw people that actually were committed to each other's well-being through some non-natural way. And because people see that, that Christ is in us, not just in this hidden, I'm a monk and I have Christ in me in some hidden arcane way, but you can see Christ in me by the way I relate to you, by how I am knit together with you. This is something that becomes visible in community. So if we want to be connected with the body of God, it's not like, you know, we are so spiritual. Show me your faith by your works, by how you are knit together in love, by how Christ works through you to meet the needs of others, by how you have the humility to let others minister to you, and that you, as a knit-together body who focuses on Christ, who has all power, are never shaken because you have everything you need and that the world can see it. May all glory be to him.
as the brother was speaking, I was really impressed with the analogy that we read about in the second verse that he expounded on, that their hearts might be comforted, knit together in love, and unto all riches of full assurance and understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. That analogy of being knit together. I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb. I don't know a lot about knitting, but I watched my wife do some crocheting. I think it's similar enough. The brother mentioned that when one area of this garment is pulled, they're all pulled, and, and there's this, everybody feels that tension. But the thought that crossed my mind when he shared that was also that until, the, until that, that garment or whatever is being made is finished, until there's a knot tied in the end, I'm assuming a little bit here, if you pull on the right spot, it very quickly unravels. You can just keep pulling it. I see when she makes mistakes and she just has to pull it apart. It happens very easily. We're not finished. God is still working on us as individuals, on us as a church, as a group, whether it's here in Toronto or in Ancaster or Kitchener or wherever it is. Let's make sure that we are part of the solution, that we're not the one trying to pull it apart. It does not take much, that we could be knit together in love. As the brother shared, it's not about the latest revelation. It's not about the rules. It's about the attitude. And when he mentioned that, I couldn't help but think of some verses in Isaiah 58 when it talks about how they were fasting and, and making themselves miserable, I guess I could say, thinking they were doing God's will. And it says, Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his bread as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day unto the Lord? Is not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and, and that thou bring to the poor, and that art cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord be thy reward. Let's, as we enter this week, as we start a new week, let's look for opportunity to do good. One of the brothers in Ancaster once put it this way. He said, we're like sponges. We come to church and we soak it all up, and that's wonderful and that's great. But if we just keep soaking it up and soaking it up, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. We have to go out there and to be squeezed a little bit and to share what we've learned with those around us. We sang in the song, and I want to close with this. Let's go out there this week and remember that Satan flees when he sees brother stand with brother, loving one another. Amen.